0: football fans it's now time for the d3football.com around the nation podcast here are your hosts pat coleman and keith
1: mcmillan and welcome to our week three preview podcast i'm pat coleman of d3football.com and this is where my podcast partner keith and i get together to take a quick look at the games coming up this weekend plus there's a lot of news to get caught up on so we have a lot to discuss on this friday podcast keith you want to jump into it
2: we probably should do that
1: The big news early in the week, of course, of a sad nature when it uh, was learned that uh, Evan Hansen, a uh, senior linebacker and team captain at Wabash, uh, died by suicide. Yeah, They had just uh, celebrated Senior Day. This is a guy who's a four-year starter. Uh, Of course, lots of reaction out of the Wabash community and lots of talk about mental health and even, I guess, the... I guess the sad coincidence that it came on uh, National Suicide Prevention Day or World Suicide Prevention Day, Keith. Just a, a lot to kind of unpack in this sad story.
2: There always is because there's a, there's just a lack of answers, and as as humans, we sort of want to to make sense of everything, and, and sometimes it's hard, especially when you weren't. Uh, privy to what the the person was thinking. So it's always it's always sad and frustrating for, for everyone who's still here. I think the biggest thing we can take away from it, especially for those of us outside the, the Wabash community, is that people want to discuss the the mental health aspects now. They they we we talked to each other more than five or ten or twenty years ago about uh keep it keeping an eye, doing whatever we can. Uh, for our friends, for for people we know to look out for them to be there for them. And that doesn't necessarily mean we could prevent this from happening the next time, but at least we can uh, give it our best effort. And and I just think not sweeping it under the rug is sort of a step forward for humanity. And we've seen that around this.
1: If you need help or you know someone who needs help, uh, consider the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Uh, you could actually tweet them at, at 800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255 is a phone number. Uh, crisis text line, you can text HOME to 741-741. Uh, Veterans Crisis Line, call one 800 uh, 273-8255 and press 1. Uh, we want to continue to make sure that people uh, understand this and remember that there are resources out there. And again, to uh, encourage people who are in a bad place or you know, need this kind of help, please stay. There are, there are many reasons to stay and please do so. It's hard to transition from this out into something else. Uh, there were lots of other things that uh, are going on this weekend, so it's just going to be kind of a hard cut when we go over now to talk about uh, the weather. Um, it seems kind of cliche to come out of a, a hard news story with the weather, but the weather is a hard news story, especially for uh, parts of Division Three in the uh, southern Mid-Atlantic this, this weekend.
2: Yeah, I think everybody from about Georgia to Virginia is really expecting to get hit hard by Hurricane Florence and on one hand, everybody's expecting it, so you can prepare. Uh, Carolinas have generally evacuated, or at least the coasts have. Um, from our standpoint, Hurricane Florence will affect games. Already, games at Averett, Emory Henry, Hampton-Sydney, and Gallaudet have been postponed or outright canceled. Uh, Guilford and Davidson are set to play near Charlotte on Thursday night. And if you're in another part of the country and all you're hearing is the Carolinas are about to get pummeled by the storm, and why the heck are the Quakers playing the night the storm is supposed to make landfall? Well, that wouldn't be a crazy thought. But Charlotte is about 200 miles inland, 175 from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And Charlotte doesn't expect to get the bulk of its rain until Friday. So I think it maybe does make a little more sense than it initially seems for, for Guilford and Davidson to play, although the shift in the storm's trajectory has got Charlotte a little worried that they may get wor- the worst part of the storm than, uh, than than they expected. There's There are quite a few Division three schools in North Carolina, Virginia, especially the southern and southwestern part of Virginia where um, the storm is going to pass over, and even if they don't take the direct hit, the storm's going to sit and linger and then curve back out overseas. So all this is going to happen Friday, Saturday, kind of the the main time we will be playing games. The Guru Bowl, Randolph-Macon and Catholic, got moved to Wednesday night for that reason. And and while it's not ideal, uh, respect to Pedro Aruza and Mike Petelius for sacrificing preparation time and recovery time for injured players to get the game played on short notice. It was a 41-6 Yellow Jackets runaway with Randolph-Macon rushing for 381 yards, in front of a listed attendance of 887, so without all the black and lemon dotting the usually robust Saturday tailgate. But it's so much better for everyone involved than an outright cancellation.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty extreme uh, reschedulement, obviously. Uh, I'm really happy that this game got in, even though uh, the fact that uh, my alma mater got uh, hit uh, spanked pretty pretty roundly probably to be expected no matter what day this game was played. Uh, This game is called the, quote-unquote, called the Guru Bowl because Keith is a Randolph-Macon grad and I'm a Catholic University grad and these teams have played each other every year since about 1991 or so.
2: Yeah, and really nobody calls it that but us, and that's fine. (laughs) Um, But it is, you know, it's relatable in the sense that teams across the country have uh, conference rivalries and non-conference rivalries that, that didn't start out as natural rivals, but they've just played each other close over time and sort of um been good or or not so good around the same time. So the games are usually competitive, although this one was an exception. And uh that's why we uh that's why we always talk about it. In this case it's that it's just nationally significant because I don't can't think of a time I've ever seen a game moved from Saturday to Wednesday. But uh Central Virginia expecting to get hit badly by the storm, not knowing exactly when it's gonna hit, but knowing it's gonna be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, raining. And even though you have turf, it's just a terrible time to be out there if lightning is involved. Uh, you don't want people driving back and forth to the games. You don't want the team, uh, one team on the road and a bus in that kind of weather. So they got it done on, on Wednesday. Now, Frostburg State had a game scheduled at Christopher Newport. That game did get canceled. And we got a message from Bobcats coach Delane Fitzgerald looking to schedule a game on the Bobcats bye week, September 29th, which normally would seem a little a little odd, but with a spade of cancellations, maybe there's a match out there. Uh, certainly, as we saw reflected with Catholic and Randolph-Macon, there's a, the desire to get the game played is strong, and I, I think that's the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, we talked about this as part of our podcast back on Monday. It's not only, of course, the fact that uh, games within the path of the storm might get canceled, but also games involving teams within the path of the storm. You know, Frostburg, Maryland, is not expected to get a, a big brunt of this weather blow. Uh, Just down the road in uh, Winchester, Virginia, Shenandoah and Hobart are still planning to play as of uh, the time that we're recording this. But, you know, uh, Christopher Newport is coming from the Tidewater area in Virginia. That is more of a uh, vulnerable area, at least uh, on the uh, one version, previous version of the storm track. And that is why uh, this game got canceled. But, yeah, if you want to play Frostburg State on September 29th, go ahead and give Delane Fitzgerald a call at uh, Frostburg State University. He'll be glad to hear from you. Of course, it's not just wet weather having an impact on games this weekend. We found out on Thursday it's hot and humid weather as well. The Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference instituted a policy for all games hosted by the conference and by conference schools that mandates adjustments when the wet bulb temperature is above a certain level. Now, I am not a meteorologist. Um, I was not a climatologist Uh, or any of those kind of ologists, but uh, we'll uh, talk a little bit more about this in a minute. Uh, As of the time of uh, when we're recording this, the St. Thomas-Hamlin game was already moved to an evening kickoff from a one ten start, and other football games in the MIAC were uh, possibilities to follow. So I chatted with MIAC Commissioner Dan McCain about this policy and the reaction he's getting from the community. Sure. It was a policy that has been uh,
3: discussed over the last year. It really has the the health and safety of our student-athletes and all participants in a contest in mind. We took a look at just data of when it was safe to participate in athletics when it got really cold or when it was heat. And uh, we developed a, a policy based on wet bulb globe temperature, which takes into account heat um, uh, the radiant sun the humidity uh, wind and it factors it all into a number and we're basically saying that it's not safe when it goes over 86.1 to be playing at this point and so we, we halt competition but then prior to that we do breaks in terms of um, what do we do in terms of water breaks between periods or quarters and it really goes back to we, we need to make sure that our clients, which is our student-athletes, are safe.
1: There's a proactive element to it also. And at the time that we're recording this and at the time that people will be first hearing this on the podcast, some contests have already been rescheduled in terms of time of day, including football.
3: Absolutely. yeah. This really does impact for us at this point, soccer and football. Um, We had a football contest already pushed back uh, five hours start time delay. Uh, I think we're going to see a couple other ones. Potentially they're they're being discussed right now being either pushed up or back. And it all depends on whether if they have lights and, and where they can accommodate in their facilities as well.
1: So the athletic trainers presumably very much on board with this. How are the coaches and do you guys then hear from the fans as well?
3: Absolutely. All of the above. So the athletic trainers are the ones that move this and they're really charged with the health and safety of our students. But our coaches, you know, it, it did take some time to warm up because we may be one of the only conferences in the country to, to take this approach. Um, whether our approach is right or wrong, I, I do think we're on the right trend of it. I think there's some adjustments that we can make, but um, our coaches have bought in and they understand that uh, this you know heat does take an impact on student athletes and so what we're trying to do yes it's inconvenient yes it's terrible to move a game time is what i'm hearing but it's the right steps and so we're hearing from fans we're hearing from officials you know people have to adjust their schedules which is is difficult but it's the right thing
1: you know around here obviously you know, people remember, even though it was 20 years ago when uh, Minnesota Vikings offensive lineman Corey Stringer collapsed and died from uh, heat exhaustion, et cetera, at uh, training camp. Is that something that still weighs in people's minds around here?
3: A hundred percent it is. And and we did work with the Corey Stringer Institute to develop a lot of our data and our rationale for why we put our proposal together. So it, it does have a direct impact on us. And uh, we, uh, we're
1: trying to make sure that we keep our kids health, healthy. I hear people, not only figurative but literal ones, complaining that we're making people soft, etc. You know, I played baseball in not only crazy hot but crazy cold weather in the upper Midwest. I know you played football in a lot worse than what we'll see uh, around these parts on Saturday. What do you think about this?
2: Well, yeah, I certainly played in. I mean, the thing about football is it starts in the hottest part of the year in August, and by the time you get to the end of the season, you know you, you've got uh, long sleeves and and you know, unless you got unless you're a crazy offensive lineman or something, you got you know, stuff underneath your your you know tights or whatever, or socks pulled up to your knees. So it is definitely um, the type of sport where you'll you'll find some crazy weather days. And some of my great memories are playing in the rain. And uh, and, and and you know, we've talked about the snow games, the snow stag bowl. Um, there was a snowy semifinal game, North Central and Mount Union. That's one of my great memories of a, of a game that I covered. So I mean, weather can become a big part of it, but it's also it's college. Like let's let's applaud the MIAC for being smart, for using all the knowledge available to make sure the most fun day of the week doesn't become a tragic day of the week. You don't really get any credit for harm prevented or for lives saved because we'll never know what effect these guidelines have in the future. But it seems silly with all the focus on making the game safer and the tackling and head injury area and contrasted this week with all the weather cancellations and and other things put in place for safety, to also not make smart decisions when it comes to heat and humidity.
1: Yeah, we've focused a lot on keeping the head healthy, but we still have plenty of other areas where young men and women playing competitive sports are in danger. Uh, We still have student-athletes who die on a a regular basis because of overheating uh, football player, Jordan McNair at the university of Maryland this spring, for example, uh, we can't prevent everything, but surely we can do more. So whether 86.1 Fahrenheit, which I think uh, is a round number in Celsius, by the way, whether that's the right temperature to start from, who knows, but I think this concept will spread in one form or another.
2: Just as an aside, we should do, we should just do the metric system, right? I mean, I know we like all as people a like us would go crazy, but it's, it just makes so much more sense.
1: I'm, I'm perfectly happy to switch over to metric. You know that um, I get this from watching Top Gear and having watched Top Gear in the past. I guess they still use miles in England um, or in terms of measurement but uh, have converted everything else. I think there's we could totally do this. And, of course, I live in a border area, too, where you know kilometers are just over the border, and I just spent a, a week and a half in metric zone in South Africa. So uh, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. That's a complete. Uh, that's a complete aside. That's what you get here yeah. on on our uh, on our game day podcast. Keith is going to put on a mascot head later on. That's not true. The, well, nobody told me about this. <laughs> did you bring pencils? Also,
2: we're going to be called unAmerican for uh, for uh, suggesting the metric system. I have no idea what a, how far a kilometer is, but it just sort of makes sense.
1: Well, there's one point six of them to the mile, so we got that going for us. The uh, New England Small College Athletic Conference kicks off this weekend as well, and perhaps this is apropos for a conference which doesn't participate in the playoffs, doesn't even play non-conference games, but uh, they'll be doing kickoffs in a non-standard way as well.
2: So the kickoff moving five yards closer um, from the 35 to the 40 uh, should give an opportunity for more kickers to to reach the end zone and have more touchbacks and fewer kickoffs, and as Football moves in the direction of, of trying to eliminate the most dangerous plays. Certainly, the kickoff and kickoff return is the one they focused on most. And for old folks like us who remember being on um, being the wedge buster, or, or at least putting the craziest guy on the team on, on kickoff team and sending him down there, there'll be fewer of those. But again, we're we're smart people here. We have data that tells us which what's most dangerous. So you'd expect actually a conference like the NESCAC to be out in the lead on this. Um, the question, though, is do, are there many kickers in the NESCAC who these five yards will help? Will they, will, they, you know, will they still kick off 60 yards from the end zone? It'll be interesting to see what kind of net effect it has as far as fewer uh, live returns and, and increased touchbacks.
1: I do not have the research department available to uh, look into that for us. I suppose we could go through each NESCAC box score from last year and try to determine where kicks landed. Uh, This is an experimental rule. It is approved by the Rules Committee. It only affects these 45 games since the NESCAC plays in its own little... um Sandbox is the term that's used, and I apologize if that's uh, somehow offensive to somebody, but that is where it's it's in a walled garden. They're just not playing any of the rest of us. 45 games out of the uh, 1,250, I'm not sure if that provides a legitimate uh, data sample, but uh, we will see at the end of the season what that looks like. They kick off this weekend, and as the format of this podcast is still gelling.
2: I'm gelling like a felon.
1: Some weeks will be pretty newsy, like this one, and we'll have a lot to talk about. But uh, the goal is still to get you ready for the upcoming weekend's games, and we will take a look at the big games, other interesting games, and a random game. But before that, we'll have an interview with Tom Jernel, the head coach at Carleton, and we'll do that when we come back after this. And I'd like to take this time to mention that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by nobody. Now, I have uh, am happy to say that there was a fan of ours who uh, reached out to someone on our behalf, and we're glad to have uh, that conversation, and hopefully we'll have some sponsorship soon. But, you know, there are lots of people who could benefit from advertising on this podcast here on Fridays, also on Mondays, uh, as we uh, bring you, you know, all the news around division three football keith and i would wax poetic about your product or your service right here before going to break so think about it drop me an email at pat.coleman at d3sports.com or tell someone to do the same we appreciate when you spread the word our featured interview on the podcast this week is with carlton head coach tom Journell. i had a chance to chat with him shortly after his team's comeback win against lawrence last saturday saw you singing the alma mater with the team after the game who taught you the alma mater? How much did you have to learn? <laughs> what does it take? That's one of the right. things that you have to learn as a new coach, yeah, right? Yeah,
0: you know, I've, I've been a head coach at, at Elmhurst College, and and so we, we started that singing to the fans, and then, you know, Stevens Point, um, we, we had a fight song, and uh, we hadn't sung it at at the fan to the fans, but we started that. And so it's so a third time go around. My son taught it to us, so he's the one that recruited me here, and so he taught me the alma mater and. So uh, it's a little bit slower, but we sped it up a little bit, so it's a little bit more of a fight zone. So yeah, it was fun.
1: That's definitely something I wanted to talk about. So Mac, uh, of course, who had a great day Saturday against Lawrence, 14 catches wow. for 149 yards and three touchdowns. Yeah, uh, some of those are, uh, obviously, there's some career highs in there. But uh, you know, he was here at Carleton, then he went away for yeah. a year, went to rose Holman, yeah. another D3 yeah. school, yeah. and he came back. And so you're saying that was the <laughs> order it happened. He came back, and then he got you to come here. Yeah, that's
0: exactly it. You know, Three years ago, we, we went. F- from uh, coast to coast from mit to the claremont colleges you know you guys mom's intelligence gene and anywhere in between washu and chicago and case western and all the usual suspects when you you have a a test score like he did and so um you know three years ago you know we 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 saw hamilton and amherst and you know carnegie mellon and great great schools and I, i told him I said, man, I've always aspired to be in the Ivy League and be at a prestigious academic institution. Been able to make some differences, you know, at all the places I've been because academics mean so much to me. And now, you know, I'm kind of living it. So he called me uh, on a on a Tuesday night when uh, there was a coaching change and. I was on Highway Eight uh, recruiting, going over to Cumberland, and it was snowing. And he never calls me, and so I, I was worried that something had happened. He called me. He's like, "Hey, we need to have you come here, and there's an opportunity." So I said, "I know I, I'm good. I love Stevens Point. Um, I don't need to do that." Uh, but the more I thought of it, the more I, I really thought it was the right thing. So uh, love, love it here. Uh, the people here are awesome. Carlton's a special place, and uh, you know now we we just have to. Be, uh, be great in football. We're great in everything, and we aspire to be great in everything, and uh, we're making progress.
1: I definitely want to talk more about that and more about your uh, coaching journey, but let me ask, what's it like being uh, being a, a Division three head coach who then has a son playing football who got went through that whole recruiting process? What's that like yeah. as a parent?
0: Well, it's a very unique perspective, yeah. and meeting with families, uh, I have that perspective in that he left, and I want him to stay here. He, he was an engineering guy, and um, He didn't get into MIT and that that was like devastating to him but I was like you know there's 11 other schools that are awesome and so he he was here and he really wanted to chase he had a great freshman year he really wanted to chase you know um, the engineering piece Uh, my dad had just passed away and uh, he had asked him to um, you know consider rose Holman, which is a great school Jeff Sokol is a close friend of mine so we went down there last year and um, Fell in love with it, and so he went there and he played and did a heck of a job. And and Rose Holman's a great place, but, um, you know he he just he, he he wanted to continue to to explore the liberal arts, and he he was so narrowly focused in then engineering that he's like, you know what, I, that's not what I want to do. So. Rose Holman and Carlton are both on the same academic calendar, and that we're on trimesters, so it worked out that he was able to transfer back here. But I, you know, he, he wanted to transfer back to Carlton. I'm like, no, stay at Rose Holman. That's a great school too. I want you to stay there and just hang in there. It's like you, where else are you going to transfer, son? So it gave me an unbelievable perspective on transfers, gave me a, a, bit, a different perspective on uh, looking at schools and recruiting, and then also retention. So. Unbelievable journey. I I saw one game in two years and I have a front row seat. So it's pretty special
1: for his last two years uh, in a Carlton uniform. uh, You have been in a position where you've been a head coach at uh, a good school in a in a division three power conference and then at a state school and now at an elite school in what is also in football, especially a division three power conference. That's a very wide range of experiences for you.
0: It is, and every single one of them has been awesome. And it started at River Falls with John O'Grady, and it was there 15 years with Kevin Bolus, and um, you know, you just never know when, where your path is going to lead you. You know, and I, I, had, I had a brilliant experience at Elmhurst College, and Paul Crone, who, who hired me there, uh, one of the greatest human beings that you know, on this face of this earth. And yeah, you know, you, you have such great relationships, and the, the, the hardest thing is leaving that, those relationships that you build, but. Uh, every, every place I've been, I've, I've loved, point, um, you know, Darren Montgomery hired me, he's at St. St. Anselm now, and holy cow, what, what a tremendous, tremendous journey this has been, and you know, you, you think that you can just stay at one place, and uh, I, I definitely could have, but uh, I, I really feel at peace and really feel this is my best fit, just like a, a college student looking for their best fit, so amazing school, um, Easy to recruit to because there's so many positives. You can't run out of, of, of things to sell because the alumni and, and, and the, the, the outcomes that we, we produce here and, and, and the type of campus it is, the type of place uh, that, that cares, you know, that is, uh, you know, just envelops yeah, everybody. And we, Everybody's smart here, and we want everybody to be successful, and that's really what our football program is about.
1: We're talking shortly after your team's 44-23 to win against Lawrence on Saturday. Um, you say it's easy to recruit here, but of course it's hard to get kids in here. So yeah. while you have a lot to sell, you have a much more limited uh, body with which to get it, and they're kind of spread all over the country.
0: They're all over. It's national. You have to scour the earth and, and find the people that want a Carleton education that um, you know are, are unique, that uh, are brilliant academically, that want a liberal arts education. So you have to go coast to coast. Should we go, we go worldwide, you know, and you try, you try to find people that are, are uh, you know, gifted and, and everything, and they're out there. And yet you have to go from coast to coast. You can't stay. We, we, we wrap our arms around Minnesota and you know i've recruited minnesota for seven years when i was at river falls so i have a lot of relationships here it starts here in our backyard and and we have to continue to build those relationships in minnesota wisconsin chicagoland and then you know we do have to go to california we do have to go to the east coast uh, and find people uh, at the ivy league camps and at all the one days and, and and the elite camps and uh and position ourselves so once they know about us Um, because a lot of people don't know about Carleton around the country. Once they know about us, it's like, holy cow, this is unbelievable. And then once they come and visit, it's really, really hard not to come here you got here and
1: you got to a program that was struggling what was like the first thing that you wanted to change when you got here on campus
0: you know, they've they, they recruited really well we just have to continue to build on that and the, you know we've we just have built on what the previous staff has done and and what Bob has done he's, he's a great man and done really great things here and a man of integrity and you know sometimes a change is, is necessary and energy it, it's it's not like I'm doing everything right and he did everything wrong it's, it's just different it's a change so um, you know, we're going to do what we do, and you know, it's built on a foundation of of, of unbelievable, you know, trust and unbelievable family, and attitude and investment, and, and stacking Ws every single day. So that's that's you know, culture wise, you know, it's our brand. Uh, not not saying that the previous staff didn't have the right brand. It's now just ours. It's different, and uh, guys just keep working. They keep stacking.
1: Sometimes in those situations, there are kids on campus who you can kind of re-recruit and bring back to the team. Is that was that a situation that you well, could take advantage of?
0: No, I, you, you know we, we would love that. You know we we just have to, we have a lot of great players. We just have to get more of them, and there's there's kids on campus that, you know, might. So we, we are going to have some open tryouts and you know, walk-on deals this next week just to have more more people. So if, if they are interested, you know, rugby is really really popular here. And uh, if somebody's interested in playing both, we're interested in having them come out and help us. And maybe they're a high school player that, you know, they've been here and they, they kind of miss it. So we're going to scour Carleton College and see if there's anybody out there that wants to continue playing this great game.
1: You guys are up uh, 20 to nothing uh, late in the second quarter. Uh, you know, obviously uh, Lawrence battles back into it. a 23 to 20 lead. And then at 3 o'clock on the dot, the sprinklers go off. Huh. And uh, from that point on, you guys outscored yeah. them twenty-four to nothing.
0: Yeah, I, it, it couldn't have come at a better time. So whoever turned those on, um, we were all upset. But I was like, no, this is the best thing that can happen. They relax, calm down. So I think the targeting call was the turning point in the set, in the first half that momentum changed, and all of a sudden, you know, we started, you know, making some bad mistakes. Because it was
1: just like four and a half minutes left when that I happened. Know,
0: I know it, and all of a sudden we we get them back in the game and give them credit for battling and end up being a, a barn burner and you know, we're just like listen just relax we're, we're fine we're prepared we're ready to go just one play at a time and uh you know it, it, there for a while you know it's like holy cow people are wondering hey are we going to get this monkey off our back we haven't won in a long time and you know it's that attitude of oh here we go again yep bad things happen and they keep happening it's a downward spiral so For us to battle back with that adversity and uh, to finish the game like this, we're really proud of them. All right, so you played the Book of Knowledge game last week.
1: That all pales in comparison to what you have coming up. You've got St. Olaf and you've got the GOAT Trophy, and the winner of the game has a pretty cool tradition they get to do at the end of the game. But, uh, you know, obviously St. Olaf is a pretty good team. They're probably a year or so ahead of you guys on the rebuild track. And I know you've just finished a, a game, but what do you uh, what do you look to do uh, coming up this
0: week? Yeah, you just, you just keep doing what we're doing. You know, I have a lot of respect across the river. I live across the river that's in between Carleton and St. Olaf and having two great colleges, you know, national the elite prestigious colleges in the same town really makes this town, you know, really, really special and really neat. So a uh, ton of respect for everybody over there. They do a tremendous job, should be a heck of a game. And uh, we'll enjoy this, and then tomorrow we'll uh, – you know, Take a look at film, and, and then we'll come up with a plan, and I'm sure it's going to be another one of those you know, great Carlton-St. Olaf games.
1: Keith, I really wanted to have this guy on our podcast in July or so, but it was an even more interesting story after his son caught three touchdown passes. But the thing that was always intriguing to me in the offseason was the various places he's been and then coming to a school that is uh, really selective and hard to get into.
2: Well, if he had done it in the off season, you wouldn't get the unique minnesota school playing prince in the background of your interview so yeah it was it was good that you uh that you did it after a game and it is such a great story what a rare opportunity to uh to land somewhere you'd want to coach and also be able to coach your son and then have your son be a a key part of the 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 team too not just a a guy who's on the team or one of your best leaders or whatever you know it might seem odd in a football context to move from uh Falls to elmhurst as head coach to stevens point So Carlton, right, for longtime followers of D3, seems like uh, the trajectory was going up there and then uh, it's a bit of a step back. But a lot of us make job decisions based on what's best for our families or to spend more time with our children. And when we heard him explain it, you can't help but feel good for him. And uh, and as a big takeaway from that interview, especially for any young person listening, a player, someone recently graduated from college, you never know where your path is going to lead.
1: His team plays St. Olaf on Saturday. That's a game that could well be affected by the the heat and humidity as well, so we'll know more about that. But that's a great little rivalry, like I mentioned in the interview, uh, but the, uh, the details on that is the winner takes the GOAT trophy, and the winning team walks from the campus uh, where the football game is held, down into the uh, center square in the middle of Northfield, Minnesota. And there's a uh, pedestal that has an eagle uh, statue or sculpture on the top of it. And they turn this eagle to face the campus of the uh, winning football team. That's one of the cool little uh, rivalry traditions in Division Three football that not a lot of people know about. That's a game to watch this weekend, but we're up to our six games to watch. And, Keith, uh, I saw on uh, Twitter or Facebook, I can't remember, uh, that longtime listener, uh, UMHB fan and fan of the pod, Chad Hammonds, compared this Friday podcast to game day for Division Three. I really love that description, so we're going to take that and run with it a little bit, throwing out to some of our correspondents around the nation. And we'll start by checking in with Adam Turr.
4: This is Adam Turr with D3Football.com, coming to you from Cincinnati, Ohio. On Saturday, I will be just across the river in Crestview Hills, Kentucky, watching the number 16-ranked Wisconsin-Platteville Pioneers take on the Thomas Moore Saints. This will be the last home opener of the D3 era for Thomas Moore, and one of just three home games for the Saints this season. The Pioneers also know a thing or two about being road warriors. Prior to traveling to Kentucky, they opened the season playing in Texas in Week 1. Mike Emmendorfer does not shy away from a challenge, and his team has responded early on. With their backs against the wall in the season opener at East Texas Baptist, the Pioneers reeled off 42 second-half points to earn a 59-44 victory. The Saints also opened the season on the road, losing a heartbreaker to North Carolina Wesleyan in the opener, but bouncing back to earn Trevor Stellman his first head coaching win by defeating Hanover last week. Quarterback play has been a big concern early on for the Saints. The rushing attack led by seniors Javier Pitts and Luke Zajac is strong. The duo combined for 53 carries and 252 yards in the win over Hanover, but Justin Post has averaged just 222 yards per game through the air and 6.8 yards per attempt, tossing three interceptions to just two touchdowns. The Pioneers were caught off guard by the speed of ETBU in the first half of the opener. After a bye week and against a team not quite as athletic, the Pioneers will look to control the tempo of the game. Platteville does not want to rely on sophomore quarterback Colin Schutz to throw the ball 51 times, as he had to in the come-from-behind rally in the opener. The Pioneers also have a strong running back duo in Sean Studer and Bo Babich. Two balanced offenses against two defenses with plenty to prove after early season stumbles. This is a must win game for the Saints, probably the earliest must win game of any team in the nation. In front of the home crowd against a nationally ranked opponent, I look forward to seeing how Thomas Moore responds to the challenge.
1: Pat
5: and Keith, back to you.
1: Thanks a lot, Adam. Now we'll send it out to Frank Rossi.
5: From In The Huddle and D3Football.com, I'm Frank Rossi. In a game that just a week ago seemed like a definite lopsided affair in the making, the Brockport Golden Eagles host the St. Lawrence Saints after the two teams pulled 180s on Saturday in their Week 2 performances. After scoring just six points against Utica a week earlier, St. Lawrence thrived on offense behind a record-setting performance from freshman quarterback Tyler Groshotts 446 yards passing and a 40-7 win against Norwich. St. Lawrence head coach Dan Picaber told the Watertown Daily Times this week that he, quote, thinks former Saints QB Mike Luffelbein is going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback and that Groshot quote, does some stuff better than him. That's high praise for the freshman who needs to succeed Saturday to give his team a chance against the number 4 team in the country, a team that has given up just 14 points in two games. Yet, Brockport couldn't convert on offense numerous times in Week 2 following their 49-point win over Hobart a week earlier, leading to an eyebrow-raising 13-7 win over the Ithaca Bombers. On top of the narrow win, the Golden Eagles lost their experienced tailback Justin Morrison to a leg injury for the remainder of the season following surgery scheduled for this week. Brockport offensive coordinator Steve Potter told me the loss of Morrison's experience and leadership this season is obviously a disappointing development for the team, but he touted the team's depth at running back, especially former Liberty University walk on Zach Samborski and freshman Jala Coad, despite their lack of experience for the Golden Eagles. One thing's for sure though, St. Lawrence cannot count on Brockport failing to execute in the red zone for a second week in a row. The Saints defense, which has given up just 16 points in two weeks, needs to force turnovers to give their team a chance early and to potentially undermine the confidence of Brockport throughout the entirety of the game. Brockport should win this game, but some signs point to the potential for St. Lawrence to make this game an adventure for the Golden Eagles if quarterback Joe Germanario and his offense fail to bounce back early in Saturday's game. We'll see which defense finally has a bad day as the teams begin to head toward conference action. Back to you, Pat and Keith. Keith, we
1: need to generate some more correspondence so that you and I don't have to do any of these. What do you think? I'm
5: in. Back
1: on the field this week, top-ranked Mount Union facing Uh, Baldwin-Wallace. Baldwin-Wallace looked good, obviously, in Week 1. Mount Union looked great in Week 1.
2: Well, I think for Baldwin-Wallace, outscored its opponents 96-24 in its first two wins, but if it wants to be taken seriously, has to have a good performance at home against the number one team in the country, Mountain Union has beat the Yellow Jackets 23 straight. It was a 55-7 game last year. But they've got Jim Hilvert, who was the architect of the, the good run that Thomas Moore had. Uh, they've got a, a pretty solid quarterback, or at least a quarterback who's played well in the first two games in Jake Hudson. So uh, for Baldwin-Wallace, have to see some sort of of, of encouragement if they want to be taken seriously nationally. And right now, I, I have them on my ballot, so I'm going to look pretty bad if they get 55 Seven again. Uh, Mountain Union, we know they're going to be fine in the passing game. they have Justin Hill, Jared Ruth. Um, you want to see how well they run the ball against a defense that probably has better athletes than Rose Holman. Josh Petracelli had a good opening game, but you just have to imagine that Baldwin Wallace would be a little bit more stout up front.
1: I still think you can lose to Mountain Union fifty-five to seven and still be in the top twenty-five. But I agree with you; Baldwin Wallace is on my ballot as well. I'd like to see how uh, how they do against this test, and for that matter, how Mountain Union does. Uh, we've got Wheaton and Illinois Wesleyan. We've got a bunch of these games, of course, when you've got four contenders for a conference title like you do in the now 10-team CCIW, you're going to have a lot of these head-to-head matchups, and this one comes early in the season.
2: Yeah, Wheaton's coming off a bye, and Illinois Wesleyan coming off a last-second loss, but one opened with an NACC team, and the other with a team from the YAC. so I don't know how instructive the results are, especially since Illinois Wesleyan rallied from down 31-16 to tie the game with a cross behind quarterback uh, Brandon Bauer. These teams have a really good history over the past several years uh, with uh, Illinois Wesleyan, their win in this matchup, probably helping put the Titans into the playoffs last season over the Thunder. So early season conference matchup, but it's one that will have implications probably when we're, we're discussing playoff picture in week 11.
1: Don't think the Thunder have forgotten how that game ended. If you've forgotten how that game ended, I will put a link in the bottom in the podcast page for this. Uh, Center at Hendricks is a game to keep an eye on as well. Uh, One of those games that should help decide the playoff bid in the Southern Athletic Association. One of the reasons that I'm always maybe uh, a little fascinated with the SAA is that its teams are pretty widely distributed in terms of geography. So their, their champion could end up getting plugged in into all sorts of places in the bracket. It's a significantly different game if Miles Thompson can't go at quarterback for Hendricks. He left the game last week in the rain against Texas Lutheran in the second quarter, and his replacement threw for 20 yards on 16 attempts. Center, meanwhile, they went 9-1 last year and really didn't even get close to a playoff bid, so the Colonels should understand the significance of this game in every conference game this year. How about Wabash at Kenyon, uh, Keith? That's a, a game that uh, maybe normally we wouldn't be keeping too close an eye on.
2: Yeah, you're right. It wouldn't normally be on here. Um, But whenever a player dies, and and even more so under the circumstances, you just don't know who's going to want to play football on Saturday or who's going to draw inspiration from it and maybe play uh, you really well. Team psychology is already a fragile thing, and it it extends to the entire community when it's a a player who who dies. And I think it's actually probably good for the Little Giants to be on the road for this one, to go to Kenyon, to sort of uh, insulate themselves from... Uh, everything that's going on, and maybe just for a few hours um, enjoy life, play football, and, and have a good game against Kenyon in theory.
1: I think it would be good that for them to, yeah, exactly, be away from campus, have a time for them to focus. The teams, uh, Coaches often talk about their teams being better focused in road games because you don't have all the distraction of what's going on at home. And I uh, would like to see how Wabash honors him. There's lots of ways that uh, teams have done unique remembrances or whatever of a fallen player at the beginning of games. Time to put each other on the spot. Keith, uh, who usually goes first and do we care?
2: I think whoever has the better question should go first. Um, of course, we don't know that until no. we, we hear them.
1: <laughs> we don't. Yeah, I'm not sure that's uh, helpful. Do we? Uh, is there a coin flip? Uh, did, you, did we defer to week three? I don't even remember.
2: Uh, I'll go first. That way I don't, I don't, uh, I don't lose my, uh, the way I want to say this to you. All right, you ready? Yeah. This one's near and dear to our correspondent, uh, Frank Rossi's heart, this is his alma mater. Union held Hustle to 66 rushing yards in its opener, held Coast Guard to 65 rushing yards last week. How many yards do they hold Springfield to this week? And for context, Springfield has rushed for more than 400 yards in both of its first two games.
1: I thought for a second you were going to ask me, at what point in the game does uh, Union give up its 67th rushing yard? And I was going to say probably carry number five. Um, I think that hold is probably not the uh, the term I would
5: think of. So you know how to take the reservation. You just don't know how to hold the reservation. And that's really the most important part of the reservation,
1: the holding. So I'm going to say that 418 yards against Kane. I'm not sure that Kane and Union are significantly different in the grand scheme of the world. Uh, Springfield's playing at home, so maybe they have a few more horses they could put in the game at the end. I'm going to say 420 yards. Wow,
2: I thought I thought you'd kind of split the difference, you know, like three high, 250, 275. Go and, go and stay in with 400.
1: I think it's a really bad game for Springfield if they do that. I'd be really surprised if it was below 350. I feel comfortable at 4, whatever I just said. What did I say, 420? Yeah, yeah, 420. Okay, I said 420. All right, here's my question for on the spot for you, Keith. It's actually something we have slightly talked about a little earlier in the podcast, so I apologize. But uh, how many points does Mount Union win by on Saturday?
2: Oh, good. At least something I won't be completely uh, embarrassed at trying to answer. Let's say 21.
1: Uh, Ooh, you're, you're channeling like the 2005 game or something.
2: Yeah, 21 to 28. I think Baldwin-Wallace is better than it was last season. And I think they'll be able to score a little bit. So I don't think it'll be a 55-7. I, it's it's going to be tough to slow down the, the Mountain Union offense. Uh, and I don't think the weather will, will get up to Ohio by, uh, by Saturday. So it won't be... That shouldn't be a factor in that game, especially since Cleveland is uh, is so far north. So, uh, yeah, I say twenty-one to twenty-eight. I think it, it may it may be interesting for uh, for a half. May even you know early in the third quarter feel like it's a close game, and then uh, and then you know Mount Union pulls away, shuts the door.
1: The uh, one of the games you could be channeling is a twenty-five to twenty loss to Mountain Union by Baldwin Wallace in twenty eleven. But they've had other even lower scoring games than that, and sometimes even in years where Baldwin Wallace isn't necessarily that good
2: yeah I mean I mean the the big the last time it was somewhat competitive at least for a half was when um DeAngelo Furford and Luke Porman were, were battling for that job when they were freshmen now a quarterback is a junior so that was a couple seasons all
1: right it's time to go to the random number generator we've got 107 games still on the schedule for Friday and Saturday there's always a chance that he could pick a game that we've already talked about. A random number out of 107 is number 51. And, Keith, the uh, Wheel of Fortune, the random number generator, has landed us on Hartwick at Kings. Here's our, uh, here's our quick uh, off-the-cuff preview for Hartwick at Kings.
2: Well, Hartwick is 2-0. and It beat Wilkes and Alfred State. It gave up 24 points in both games. So if you're going to... And, and Kings lost 24-0 in its opener, but they have... Uh, They've had a week off. There are a bunch of teams this week that that played on September 1st, had the 8th off, and this will be interesting to see what kind of impact it has. Certainly, uh, you look at Hartwick coming from the Empire 8, having a pretty high-powered offense, probably a game they'll do pretty well in, but that extra week I think does make a difference for a lot of teams, especially for teams that are either installing new stuff, teams that are trying to get healthy, which, you know, usually is not the case in week one, but you never know if you you had an injury during camp. So, uh, so yeah.
1: Second trip down to the Wilkes-Barre area for Hartwick. Uh, Keith mentioned the uh, 28 to 24 win in the opener and an easy win against Alfred State. Uh, Kings has yet to score this season. Um, And when I talked to uh, Kings coach at the beginning of the season, because I talked to him for kickoff, uh, Jeff Nahr, and I talked about how young they were at a lot of key positions. I suspect it'll be a bit of a tough season for Kings, and I, I think that uh, Hartwick should uh, do pretty well in this game.
2: And you look at the the rest of the Kings schedule after this, too. You get Stevenson uh, at Lycoming and Widener, and, and, and so not, uh, not a not real easy opening month for Kings. This is a week they really would, would like to get a good result.
1: We're up to our six one-liners, uh, six games to keep an eye on that we'll just talk about really quickly. Willamette at Occidental, FDU Florham at Alvernia. We got Hobart at Shenandoah, Augustana at Elmhurst, Muhlenberg at Susquehanna, and Ithaca at Alfred.
2: Willamette coming off a 54-7 loss to a Canadian team in week one. Occidental beat a Mexican team and its unofficial o- opener. So maybe this won't be the blowout everyone expects.
1: Yeah, well, Willamette uh, was winless last year, so was Occidental.
2: FDU floor Matt Alvernier, either Fairleigh Dickinson is going to be 3-0 and or a first-year program will be off to a 2-0 and start. I think those are both things we've never said on the podcast before. It's probably true. Hobart, at Shenandoah. Hornets coach Scott Yoder is a 2001 Hobart graduate, and his team will be looking to improve on a 56-30 loss last season. Also, will be looking to stay dry.
1: Yeah, like we talked about, this is one that's not quite in the path of the storm, but who knows where the rain will be.
2: Augustana at Elmhurst. Trying to figure out why you put this one on here, Pat.
1: I put this one on here because uh, Augustana with the surprising win in week one, right? They uh, they handled Coe. We talked about it a little bit then. Uh, Elmhurst is maybe not the next step up the ladder in the CCIW for Augustana, but it's a chance for them to prove that they're not going to be the bottom feeder that they were for the past couple of years.
2: It was a very surprising win in week one against Coe. Muhlenberg at Susquehanna for Suski. If you beat Johns Hopkins, which uh, the Riverhawks did last week, and follow it with a loss to the Mules... I think they'll have given all of their program-building momentum back, so they really have to have another good result this weekend.
1: Can't argue with that.
2: Ithaca got out for – this is one of the rare times where the road team, coming off a loss, facing a team that had a bye week, is actually the team we feel like might have the momentum. Ithaca played well, not necessarily well offensively, but uh, Brockport last week lost that game 13-7, scored in the final two minutes, so had a chance to, to win that game at the end. And uh, Alfred has just been off since week one. Normally, you'd say team at home. they're You know, they're in great shape. But uh, but this one, I feel like it has a pretty good shot.
1: Take a look at last week's quick hits. Uh, looking at the game of the week, UW lacrosse at uh, number 21, Illinois Wesleyan, was uh, Ryan Tips's take for game of the week. We had th- four people who chose Concordia-Moorhead at uh, number 12, UW-Whitewater. It wasn't a great competitive game, but it did tell us a little bit. Uh, I picked uh, Harden-Simmons at Trinity, Texas. Uh, It was a competitive game kind of down to the end, but not as much so as uh, UW lacrosse at Illinois Wesleyan. So I think we got to give Ryan the uh, win there. Did uh, we had five of the six people correctly pick a top 25 team most likely to be upset? Uh, The one who does not uh, come away with the victory is uh, Frank, who thought RPI would lose to WPI. That did not happen. Which team making its debut in Week 2? I wish it had a game underneath its belt. Let's see now. Uh, Keith took Kane. Hard to argue with that. Ryan took Depaugh. Uh Really hard to argue with that. DePa lost and uh, was prob- may have been favored in that game. Uh, I picked William Patterson. That seemed like a, a pretty easy no-brainer pick. Uh, Adam took Texas Lutheran, but Texas Lutheran won that game. Uh, Frank took Kane. And uh, uh, Ryan Carlson, our guest, took uh, Linfield. Certainly uh, have to give uh, have to give Linfield or, or Ryan the win on that. It's a consolation prize if nothing else, right?
2: It's a, certainly a surprising loss for for Linfield. At least I thought so. Even though Carroll had been a power previously, they had been coming off a few rough seasons, they had the, the they were playing their third game. Linfield's first, but we expect a lot from Linfield, and they get a visit from Redlands this weekend. So we'll we'll really see what they're made of.
1: Who will bounce back from a week one blowout and win? Keith took Guilford check box there. Ryan Tips took Allegheny. Again, check the box. I took Stevenson. Adam took Rose Holman. (coughs) Frank took Hobart. Ryan Carlson took Delaware Valley. Pretty good set of picks there. Which team will be surprisingly 2-0 after Saturday? Uh, Keith took Lawrence. Check the box. Uh, Ryan took North Carolina Wesleyan. (coughs) I took Sewanee. that was wrong.
2: I think Frank Rossi, uh, he got FDU Florham. He probably had the best week here. I, Lawrence didn't win, so that's my I got that one wrong. Uh, but Frank got the Hobart bounce back. He picked Kane and he uh, he picked FDU Florham to go two and zero. So pretty good
1: week for him. SUNY Maritime did get the win for Adam. Ryan Carlson just tried to throw McAllister in all over the place. By the way, McAllister did not play last week. I do I I, I have to agree with you, Keith. A really strong week by uh, Frank Rossi. Everything but the upset pick was pretty good.
2: So no pressure, Frank. But for the listeners out there, if you want to know who to trust when you look at this week's quick hits, (laughs) uh, Frank is holding the belt currently.
1: (laughs) There's a belt now for quick hits. As long as we're grading quick hits, we have to grade on the spot as well. It looks like I had the correct answer all along and the question was, Keith, what was it?
2: Last week I asked you of the top 10 teams who were playing their first game, which one would impress you most? The choices were Harden, Simmons, North Central, and Linfield. And in your answer, you started out with North Central. <laughs> yeah. Then you started talking yourself into Harden Simmons. So you had the the probably the most impressive team in week one. Yep. Then you had one that at least uh, at least won its game, and then in the end, you talked yourself into Linfield, the team that went out to Carroll, Montana, and lost.
1: Yeah, that is a uh, that's a big L right there uh, on the spot. To, uh, that's a fail for me, uh, Keith. We asked uh, of Keith. Who will win more games uh, in week two, the UMAC or the ECFC? And uh, and going back and scoring that, uh, the ECFC won two games. Castleton defeated Fitchburg State 34-13. Husson beat University of New England by the score of 47-7. If you look at the uh, UMAC scoreboard, Martin Luther with the win against Rockford, 28-24. And... Yeah, that's the one. So uh, neither of us... If they uh, correct on the spot answer, that's OK. We will continue to do those things as we continue through the rest of the season here on this podcast. We thank you for joining us for a Friday podcast on D3Football.com. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 203 released on September 14th, 2018. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the weekend. If you like our podcast, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast, because that will help other football fans find it. You can also leave comments on the blog page. The executive producer of Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman, production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at DJMentos.com. Thanks to our guest, Tom Jernel, as well as sports information director, David Pate, for their time and assistance on this edition of our show. Also, thanks to Dan McCain, the commissioner of the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. Thanks to Adam Frank for chiming in. And, of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my podcast co-host, Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. And you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook.